Um, also, happy, uh, happy 4th of July, which is actually tomorrow, as I said earlier. Uh, today is not the 4th. It is July the 3rd, but that's only one, way, one day away. I don't usually do a countdown to the 4th, but I'll just give you one day till the 4th of July, uh, which makes it also 174 days until Christmas and zero days till Karen returns because she's here. So those are some of the countdowns that we've participated in over the last several weeks. Uh, very happy about that. Um, but it occurs to me that we have a lot to be thankful for in reference to this even Independence Day, we call it Independence. Uh, I don't know. You know, for me, it's more, and I think for most of us at this point, it's really more of a day that we celebrate freedom. When we think about the freedom that we enjoy in this country and the people who fought to make that possible. All the different people, all the way back to that revolutionary period in our country when uh, there were men and women, actually families, that really uh, laid it on the line to stand against what was at that time an oppressive, uh, tyrannical uh, government from across the ocean. And it's interesting and even ironic to me. I, I like history. I really enjoy history. But it's interesting and even ironic to me that at this point in the history of the world that it is English-speaking peoples that tend to live in democratic societies, and I don't mean that as any sort of a, cert that's certainly not in, uh, entirely true. What I mean by that are not even only limited to English-speaking people. I want to be careful how I said that, but what I'm trying to say is that that moment in history in the 1770s was an incredibly critical period for this world when there was something that God was doing in the lives of men so that even in this day and age there are elections in England and in Australia. And other, it's interesting when you travel the world and you run into people who have a similar history to yours and you begin to see just how the hand of God works and has worked mightily. And even though in instances where colonization wasn't really uh, the will of God, it was in uh, uh, certain times it was certainly an imperialistic effort just to gain more uh, access to resource or taxation or whatever, and yet you see how the hand of God has redeemed that. If you travel and you go to places and you see how that those motivations may not have been pure, but even in that, that the Lord's redeemed it. So when I think about Independence Day, I think about freedom, and I think about what that can look like in our world, and, and, and when, then when you travel to places where there, there isn't freedom, then you become really aware, and by that I mean that there's not an opportunity to at least vote, uh, regardless of how you feel today about our political processes, and certainly they're flawed. They're, they're human, right? They're flawed. But we certainly have a lot. I think what I'm trying to say is that we have a lot to be thankful for. It's interesting, even that revolutionary period, and you think about um, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, which is certainly uh, uh, what we celebrate, but the reality is that the Revolutionary War, of course, started a good year and a half before that as events started to unfold and shots were fired and certain uh, some of the most historical battles in that period actually happened before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But then you look at that uh, moment in history and the 13 colonies and the people that came from all the different states or colonies at that time and they signed that declaration. And you're going to know this history better than me, I have a feeling, although, again, I enjoy my history. Uh, but I haven't been a college student for a couple of decades, so. Um, but we do have the History Channel. Um, but I think about how the youngest signer of the Declaration of Independence was a South Carolinian who was 26 years old, and the oldest signer of the Declaration of Independence was 71-year-old Benjamin Franklin, and how they were, they were lawyers and they were... They were educated, uh, in, even in some cases, professors and instructors, and, and they were successful businessmen. And for the most part, they were reasonably wealthy. But then there were also farmers. There were fathers and there were sons. 
And they all became soldiers because they had something to fight for. On some level, on, on one, they weren't all necessarily in the army per se, but they certainly all were fighters. can say that of them. There's a lot of uh, folklore about what happened to them. Some is true and some is not. But what is true is that they all stood for something that they believed in. They were, they were freedom fighters, if you will. And I say that to you as a bit of an introduction because last week we talked about the gospel. I mean, we broke it down simple, right? And just, just began to back up and think about what it means to, to be uh, the church and not certainly just dwelling place, but the church that believes in the message of the cross, salvation through Christ and what that looks like, the creator God of everything who gave himself for us. And, and, and we know that we have something to fight for, that we have a cause. And we talked about the gospel. We talked about the power of the gospel last week. We talked about the person of the gospel, which is actually the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is found in the person of the gospel, Jesus Christ. We also talked a little about the hope of the gospel. And we said that the hope of the gospel, the gospel is the hope of the world, but the hope of the gospel is the church. We are. I know it's a little scary, but we are. We said last week the hope of the gospel, that's the plan that God made. Uh... We are meant to be agents of reconciliation. We say that a lot around here. We are, uh, we are in and of ourselves. Our story is a redemption story, and we are meant to be uh, redemption's emissaries or ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.20. That's who we are. We are. Can I say that? Can I say it this way today? Because we're still, we're still talking about what it means to be a God witness, really. That's what we're talking about today. But I want to talk about it in this context and from this perspective. We are called to be freedom fighters ourselves. And in fact, the freedom that we fight for, is it, it even supersedes what we would see as, as the kinds of freedoms that we enjoy here, not, not to diminish them on any level. They are certainly connected. And I would say to you that God does care about this kind of freedom, the freedoms that we, political freedom, that we enjoy in this country. He cares about that. He does care about that. But ultimately, there are those who still un, live under the oppressive hand of men who walk in tremendous... Do you hear what I'm about to say before I say it? who walk in tremendous freedom. Paul said it this way when he wrote to the Corinthians. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, he said, where, listen, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, Paul knew this well because Paul himself had spent certainly significant time uh, in prison. <laughs> he was uh, consistently incarcerated, shall we say. Uh, he spent a good bit of time in jail, in fact, for his proclamations of freedom. Uh, he was put in bonds. But he knew this, though, that that couldn't take away his freedom. Hmm? Paul was a freedom fighter. So are we meant to be. Turn with me, if you will, just quickly to Acts chapter 17. We're going to read a lot of Scripture today, so I'm not the world's fastest reader, so I'll have to, I'll have to be pretty diligent with our time, but I want to take us back to what is actually one of the most clear presentations of the gospel in the history of the earth. Uh, this is Paul. I've referenced this a lot the first six months of this year, uh, and certainly even the last um, bit, but uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, some of his compatriots were about to join him, and it says his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. I want you to notice that. 
we'll, we'll reference it in just a minute. We're going to talk about some of the commonalities of freedom fighters. And I want you to reference, just kind of hold on to that passage for a second. And the scripture goes on to say in verse 17, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God and in the marketplace every day with those who, who happened to be there. So he was, he was really bothered. Something was, was, was bothering him. He was, the scripture says he was troubled. And so he started to just tell the gospel truth. Then also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers argued with him. Some said, what is this pseudo-intellectual trying to say? I love that. How did, how did, how did he become a pseudo-intellectual? And what does that even mean? <laughs> I use the word pseudo quite a bit. Pseudo-programmatic, that's one of my favorite phrases. Um, pseudo-intellectual. Just a little FYI, Paul was a legitimate intellectual. There was not, nothing pseudo about Paul's intellect. Um, others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection, which they... They definitely struggled with the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you are speaking of. For what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these ideas mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. So these guys had a lot of time to burn, you know what I'm saying? I mean, so they were, they were very interested, even though they might... Uh, only want to have a new point to argue against, they still wanted to hear what he had to say. So then in verse 22, then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, I mean, uh, can you just, can we stop here and just, just say one word right quick, Daryl? Can we just say the word set up? Man, I don't know if you noticed this, but if you will follow God into the fight, you will find yourself consistently set up. Yeah, we'll come back to that too. Men of Athens, he said, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing, they probably thought that was a compliment. I bet they smiled real big. Oh, yeah, we're getting some props from the pseudo-intellectual. I see that you are very religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Man, I'm telling you, this is the gospel right here. This is how you lay it out in the business uh, room, the, the boardroom, and the bush right here. This is how this works. He says, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the, the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nation of men to live all over the earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Being God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think... The divine nature is like God or, or gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked looked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. That's the gospel. I mean, he laid it out right and then some. I look at that passage. 
speaking in Athens. And we're talking about in Athens, y'all. He went straight to the most, um, how to say, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to use a, a politically uh, charged word right here, but he went to uh, the most uh, liberal think tank of his day, those that would think outside the bounds of what might have been drawn for them as truth. They wanted to stretch that, think different. Uh, they, they were no, no doubt into a, a mode of justification and, and reason. And Paul just said, look, let me tell you, though, the truth. I, I look at this passage in Acts chapter uh, 17, and it looks to me almost like Paul's declaration of independence. Or in a sense, if we could just change again the phraseology, because what I'm looking for isn't really independence. Right? It, it, it isn't certainly codependence, but it is dependence <laughs> on God and inter, interdependence on the family of God. But, but it is freedom. I mean, really, for me, what Paul wrote here is our own declaration it's a declaration of, of freedom that he made. And, and he challenged us to do the same. Paul was a freedom fighter and he challenged us to do or he challenged us to be really the same when he said in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, he said it this way, you were called to be free. That's a dramatic pause, see, because I'm trying to let that soak in. Because we don't need to miss that either, right? We were called to be free. That's first. We were called to be free. But he said, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Don't, don't, you're, you weren't made free just so you could enjoy your freedom and or justify, right, your sinful nature. It wasn't grace without cost. It was a costly grace. Treat it that way and understand that you weren't made free to indulge your own sinful nature. Rather, he said, serve one another in love. I think he was saying that you were, you were blessed. We could say it this way to be a blessing. Hey, now, now. Okay, don't get too carried away with that connection because you were blessed because God loved you. But you were, you were, you were a vessel that is meant to be poured out. Paul said that too as a drink offering. The minute you try to hold what you got for you, you get stagnant. Hmm? He said, look, you were free and you were called. I'll get to that more in a minute to be freedom fighters. In fact, we could look at that passage in um, Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. This is what Jesus said. Talk about a freedom fighter. The ultimate freedom fighter. The captain of the guard, as it were. Captain of the host of the Lord's army. Don't you love that passage in Joshua? When the angel of the Lord showed up, it was, that was Jesus. He said, he said uh, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? He said, neither. Hmm? I'm the captain of the host of the Lord's army. Whose side do you want? That was kind of inferred. I'm with you. Right? Jesus said it this way, the ultimate freedom fighter. He said, and he called unto him the multitude with his disciples. Now, Mark chapter 8. You know how I always love to give backstory, but for the sake of time, I won't give you much here about Mark 8, but you ought to just read the whole chapter. You should always try to put the scripture in context. Huge believer. If I give you five verses, you should always try to go home and read the whole chapter. Serious. I'm serious. I hope you don't just come and hear what God said in the Word and then not do anything with it. I pray to God that we go home and look at that. And, and you let God speak to you from it. Mark chapter 8, incredible, incredible. The Scripture says in Mark 8, Mitch, that there were thousands of people. There were thousands of people. So when it says that He called unto Him the multitude with His disciples, it means multitudes. And said to them, If any would come after Me, 
Boy, we've seen this tendency in Christ a lot lately, right? When we've read, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For he said, whoever would save his life would lose it. And here's what I wanted to get to. Whoever shall save his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel. Speaking to our calling. Jesus is speaking to our calling. Whoever would save his life for my sake and the sake of the gospel would find it. You want to find your life? There are people who will say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just trying to find myself. I can tell you where to find yourself. Find yourself in relationship with Jesus and in service to his kingdom and his cause. Some people like to leave that last part off. That makes them uncomfortable. But I'm saying to you what I consistently say to you. Who better? Who better to talk about the father than his sons and his daughters? Huh? He said, for what would it profit a man to gain the whole world? And forfeit his life. Or what could a man give in exchange for his life? We're called to be freedom fighters this morning. I want to just, as I said uh, in the intro, share a few of the commonalities among freedom fighters. Just, just a few. Remember this morning, we're really talking about um, God's heart for us to reach his world. Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. Freedom fighters. Number one, freedom fighters are... Well, here's a revolutionary idea. I've already kind of covered it. Freedom fighters are free. Number one, freedom fighters are free. Again, back to Galatians, but chapter 5. But this time we'll even just read from verse 1. Uh, again, 5.13, he said, you were called to be free. But in 5.1, even before that, he made this statement to the Galatians. He said, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Again, probably one of the verses we know the best. But you were set free to be free. Something that freedom fighters have in common is that they are free. You say, that's too obvious. Listen to me. There are a lot of people who have tried to join in this fight while they themselves are still living in chains. Worried about every kind of thing that you could worry about temporally, right? Bound by sin and weight, right? And trying to carry that into the fight. Not free. The heaviness of that will kick your tail. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning, church? I mean, now, don't wait to be free to enter the fray. Get free now. Don't wait. My word for you is don't wait. You say, well, yeah, you know, I'm going to step into this thing one day when I get free. Get free now. Is there is there a process? I'm, I mean, I'm sure that healing and and, and working and meet, we put a high value on uh, the fellowship of counsel. We do. Hey, I like the way that worked because that's what it is. It's family coming together to say, okay, but let's let come, let us reason together. Come, let us walk this out. Come, let us work this out. You'll find. Uh, at dpnrv.org again. I sound like a living commercial here. But you'll find there an easy contact for freedom teams and there's an opportunity for you to walk and work with people every week right here. Faithful God followers who themselves are walking through the process of, of living in freedom that will walk and work with you to see that happen. But do not wait. I'm going to say what I said before. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Do you hear me this morning, church? Now, but if you ignore your bondage hmm, while you try to live as a freedom fighter, ouch, 
Because what will happen is that as you step into that, and you will face real challenges, I'm not going to try to undersell that, and I'll come back to that in a moment too. But as you step into this fray, and you fight for the freedom of those that are bound, it's a real fight. And when you do that, and you yourself are still carrying the weight of, uh, of um, how to say, insecurity, you're still carrying the weight of... Um, expectation and comparison, you can't win. If you've got to protect things and own things and keep things to be safe or satisfied, you can't win. There are too many things for the devil to kill you with. You're busy buying bullets for the enemy. But when you say, yeah, well, wait a minute, though. Jesus set me free. So I'm having trouble seeing what you're going to do to me. When you're free. When you walk in that freedom. And in fact, I would submit to you that that's a part of the process of freedom. Is living in it. Freedom fighters, one of their commonalities is, is that they're free. Doesn't mean they're superheroes. Sometimes heroic in the sense that they trust God, but always the hero is Jesus. Always the hero is Jesus. You've heard me say, because uh, I get some props for chunking a kid out of the road, and I've said lots of times, and trust me, it's true. I was desperate. Jesus was heroic. I was, I was just recently having, you know, I, I actually kind of enjoy some Marvel comics, and I don't read comic books. I mean, I'm sorry to say that um, they got cartoons. Why should I read the comic books? <laughs> Makes me sound a little weak-minded, but maybe neither one of those sound very strong. But but just recently, I was just I was just looking, praying, considering. I don't know what I was doing. Contemplating probably is more the case. And I was thinking about superheroes, and I got I got some Batman Chucks, like I got some Converse Chuck Taylors that have Batman on them, and I like those, man. But I'm looking at Batman. I like Batman. Batman, you know, he's bowed up, and he, he did the best he could with what he had. But the thing about Batman is Batman Batman has to wear a mask. And so it just occurred to me, superheroes wear masks. And so I wrote in my journal, I'm not a superhero. Because I'm not going to try to pretend to be someone I'm not. But I'll tell you what I am. I'm free. I don't have to hide or live under any expectations, and I don't have to strive for anything. Man, I'm telling you, I'm rocking some freedom right here. And then you can do whatever. You can stand in. You can be like, hey, Soto, but just go ahead and throw us in that fire. Not because we think we're coming out the other side on this side. But Paul meant what he said when he said, if God be for us, who can have success in standing against us? That's the freedom I'm talking about right now. The freedom to follow God crazy and do whatever He asks you to do. Remembering that He loves reachers and risk takers because He's got them covered. It speaks to the fact that there's trust. Karen's consistently reminding me right now, do not, she said this to me yesterday, do not lean on your own understanding. She, she used a Jesus communication technique. She did not complete the sentence for me. 
He did that all the time in the New Testament. You see him all the time speaking to the Pharisees. He knew they knew. So if you want to know, you've got to go back and look. But he was always quoting Old Testament. And, he, and she just did that. Because it's a cool communication technique because it made me play it out in my mind. But she said, do not lean on your own understanding, which meant in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make you pass straight. He'll keep you on point. You're trying to figure this out. That's what she was saying to me. You're trying to figure this out. Which incidentally doesn't feel like freedom, but a whole lot of fretting. John 8, 36, Jesus said it this way. The one whom the Son sets free is, is truly free. Freedom fighters, commonality, they're free. I should move on. I think you get this. Freedom is so much more than a physical reality, too. I'll just touch that base real quick. Karen had an opportunity to spend some time with her brother James, who is still uh, quadriplegic in the hospital in Houston again and have had a very high, and we want him healed and it's not God's uh, purpose that he be in his certain uh, physical situation but we got on Skype together and I'm not, I'm not naive I know he has hard and heavy days but I'm telling you I've been around people who were uh, fully functional physically who were not as free as he is and if you've been to see Jim Ebel the aforementioned Jim Ebel who's coming home this week I haven't even seen his freedom threatened in this, to be honest. I haven't even seen it threatened. Now, he wants to walk. He wants everything to work. Rightly so. But I have not seen a threat to his freedom. Man, he's still living as a free man in that hospital room without question. And he will, and it's his destiny. That's who he'll be. Paul said it this way in Philippians. I've already quoted 2 Corinthians 3.17 where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. And he, he reaffirmed that in Philippians 4.11 when he said, I've learned, and some, some biblical historians, this is really unclear, but just, just point of fact, we know that Paul spent a lot of time in prison and even in a Roman prison, which would generally have been in the basement, the dungeon, um, if you want, but which, you know, all the sewer flowed downhill. I mean, it was just an unpleasant place is what I'm trying to say, whatever the case may be. Not a good place to be. And yet Paul was able to say, whether he was presently there, as some would say, when he wrote Philippians. We, we do know that he wrote Philippians from Romans, in prison or not. But he said, I have learned in whatsoever situation I am in to be content. Freedom fighters are free. Number two, freedom fighters, freedom fighters are bothered by bondage. Well, I didn't know that was going to be a tongue twister when I put it in my notes. Freedom fighters are bothered by bondage. It's a commonality. Freedom fighters are folks who are not okay with other people being bound. Karen and I were driving through um, Durbanville, which is a suburb of Cape Town, and we saw just, I mean, they... It's kind of like, you know, you're seeing these billboards now in the, in the uh, States. You'll see that one where the dad is pushing the son, and they've ran like 60-something marathons. And you may be familiar with that story. Locato told that in one of his books. Or there's a Desmond Tutu quote, and there's just other different, different things. And it's, they're basically to encourage a better way of life or something like that, which is, which is cool. It doesn't happen without Jesus. But still, nonetheless, I appreciate the encouragement. And, but there was a quote on, uh, they put them on bus stops in South Africa because they're really trying to raise people's um, perspective on what's possible. You've got to understand they have one of the strongest economies on the continent and they still have over 40% unemployment. So we, we just don't know what stuff like that feels like. Um, but, but it says, injustice anywhere, on one of the bus stops we passed, it says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Now I know... I didn't come here this morning to open a political debate about 
whether you're a separatist and think that we should mind our own business or whether we should fight for freedom with our troops and, and that kind of thing. But I will say this to you, that um, freedom fighters are people who are bothered by bondage. And I know when I served in the military that if it was legit and there were people who needed someone to come fight for them, that I was for that. And I'm telling you in this army, when we serve in here, I mean, it's more than a kid song. I'm in the Lord's army. I'm telling you for real, for real. Thankful to serve. And I want to be that guy that's bothered by bondage. I don't want to be like, hey, I'm free, but good luck for you. Yeesh. I've said to you before that advanced theology on evangelism, a lot of times or witness in our world, is we'll say, man, we've got to build a bridge to lost people. And we say that. You've heard me say that. Got to build a bridge. Because often we operate in parallel universes. Like we're over here doing our thing and lost people are over there doing their thing. We're running in parallel universes though our destinations are not the same. But somebody's got to say, hey, let me intersect over here. Let me make a move because I'm not okay with the fact that that person, and I don't want to hold somebody's hand to hell. I'm not just trying to be friendly. And I'm very friendly. Well, I am. This is not a feel-good thing for me. I want folks to be free. And I want to be willing to fight for that. I want to be bothered by bondage. I don't want to be okay with that. I don't want to be comfortable with that. And I've said to you that one of the great tensions of the Christian faith is to care deeply, and I want that, and to yet somehow still be carefree. And that's called grace. It's called freedom. We'll build a bridge. That's advanced theology. But then often when we get there, we go, Good grief! These people are messed up. Then we run back across the bridge. We get some petrol, some gasoline. We pour on the bridge. We slap a match on that thing. And we say, don't ever go over there. Right? We do that. I'm telling you, people who are really bothered by bondage will get in the middle of the mess. They'll still be free. But they'll get in the middle of the mess and they'll fight for folks. That's who freedom fighters are. Hmm? Hmm? Just helping you remember who you are. Because you do that, right? Anyone, anywhere. Uh, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to have to buzz through this quickly. He said, um, I love what you can see that heart in him. That's why I'm reading this passage to you. So just sort through the whole of it because I want to read it in context. But he said, Paul and Timothy, he's writing again to the Philippians. I just mentioned a moment ago. Servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, he said, every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. So he prayed consistently. He cared about them. He cared about the people in Philippi. I always pray with joy because your partnership in the gospel uh, from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, see, he's, he's speaking affirmation and potential to them at the same time. He said, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and highlight this, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. Sounds like a freedom fighter. Huh? 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 
all of you sharing God's grace with me. God, he said, can testify how long for, for how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this, he says, is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He's fighting for the freedom so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Adding the gospel in. Adding the gospel in. Y'all going to be right with Jesus when he comes. Filled with the fruit of right. You're going to be freedom fighters too. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And then, check this out. Talk about a brother being on point. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Which he clarifies here, at least in this beginning of Philippians, that he was in jail when he wrote this. Because he says... Because they know he's in jail, so he's referencing that. And he says, as a result of me being in jail, parentheses, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for the cause of Christ. He was bothered by the bondage of his captors. They put him in jail and he was still fighting for their freedom instead of his. I'm very inspired by that. Not making this up. And because of my chains, he said, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Just what the enemy overplayed his hand. He thought if he could lock me up, they'd all shut up. But in fact, they're more bold than they were before. Freedom fighter. Bothered by bondage. And not just bothered by bondage, but, but in anyone and anywhere. His compadres who on some level had responded in Philippi, but also the palace guard. He's like, look at these cats right here, though. Sure would love to see them be free. He was praying for them too, no doubt. Rich or poor, friend or foe. Freedom fighters are bothered by bondage. Poor? Sure. Absolutely. The poor... The least of these, when you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. Absolutely the poor have a special place in the heart of God. Stay with me. Very special place in the heart of God. But an acquaintance, a fellow missionary, Mark Renfro, who, who ministers in the Iberian Peninsula, has had his family in Saudi Arabia for a couple of decades. I think I might have mentioned him last week, but Mark made this statement. He said, um, it's easier for people to minister salvation or Jesus to someone who they perceive has less than them. And he was speaking to the fact that God had called them to places like Dubai where there is filthy wealth, like crazy ridiculous wealth. People are bought and sold. But he said God has a heart for them too because we're not just talking about the phys physically or fiscally poor. But we're talking about the spiritually poor as well. And I can attest that this is true. Because you've heard me say, and I share stories about the places that we go, and certainly over the last few years that's been primarily sub-Saharan Africa. And I share stories about, again, most recently, Naolau and Maui Kulipe. And I have people come to me and say, I'd like to go to those places where people are hungry for God like that. And last week I challenged you. I ended with saying this, that look at the fields. They are white unto harvest. It's the laborers that are few, rich and poor. Can I say to you, Tom, that it is, um, 
I, I, you know what? I'm going to say this. It's still challenging to minister Jesus to uh, a local tribal elder in Duna in Malakulipe who's got bangles and worships devils. I mean, that's, you know, a little hectic. But I'm going to say that it's really not that hard. I mean, because Jesus shows up in it. Great grace. And so I can sit with an interpreter and I can explain the gospel to this guy. But I'll say to you, this has been kind of ironic. Because you always hear stories of airplane rides, which, again, I just seem to consistently have. And the last three people I've sat next to on airplanes were all loaded. I mean, the one dude, I don't know, he was just kind of wealthy. Because he was like an executive in GE, so I don't know how much dough he had. But I sat next to this one guy who owned four textile mills and produced the T-shirts for, as I said to you, American Eagle and, um, I don't know, Air Apostle. I mean, he just donated 16,000 T-shirts to the Relief Everett and Joplin. He was making up bad words. But I straight up talked to this guy just like I talked to everybody else. The conversation still went to God and family and faith. That's where the conversation went. I sat next to that executive from uh, GE on my way. I flew from Roanoke to Atlanta because I went to pick up Karen this week. That's how that happened. I flew home. We got in a car and ultimately drove back. Yay. So completed that circle. My second flight, I was getting on a plane in Atlanta. And um, I was getting ready to take my seat. And I had gotten bumped up because I do fly a lot. So I would gotten bumped up to business class. And I was getting ready to take my seat. And there was a really tall dude. And he was about to sit on the outside where I needed to go on the inside. I said, hey, I'm going right in there. And so as I passed him, I know he looked familiar to me. I was trying to figure out who he was. And as I sat down, it just dawned on me that it was some of you don't know who this is. A lot of you won't. But I just realized, hey, that's Byron Scott. Byron Scott played for the Lakers in the 80s, won multiple NBA championships with Magic and the crew, and now he's the head coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, the irony in that for me is that Jacob and I are pretty big NBA fans, so we follow and. Um, we've kind of kept up with what was going on with Cleveland, and we've even, you know, been frustrated, especially that when LeBron mishandled the decision and left Cleveland to go to another team, and then all but the venom, just the venom, sort of took the fun out of sports almost for us because we're like, man, look at all that hate. <laughs> and, I mean, we've been, we've sat, Jacob and I, our 20-year-old, have had legitimate God conversations about that. Like, that is just sad. I mean, when Dallas won the championship over Miami, the governor of, um, yeah, the governor of Ohio declared Dallas Mavericks honorary citizens for beating LeBron. I mean, I was like, this is ridiculous. It's just sad. Kind of turns me off of this whole sport a little bit. So then I'm sitting, I'm like praying about, you know, that, and I'm sitting next to Byron Scott. So, I mean, it's not a big deal, honestly. I didn't feel any particular emotion in the moment. I just, I'm putting my Bible in because I'm going to get to it later. And I just said, so how did you feel about your draft? That was just my clandestine way of saying I, I actually know who you are. And he said, no, we liked it pretty good. We feel good about Kiari Irving or whatever and just feel pretty good about that. And so we chatted about that a little bit, chatted about basketball. And the next thing you know, man, we're straight up talking family and Jesus. Because I said, I'm, I'm heading home to get my wife. I'm explaining about her being gone and that kind of thing. And he says, do you have any kids? And we talked about his kids, and we talked about my kids, and talked about how God had been faithful. I told him two or three of my best Jesus stories. I mean, just they just came up. Uh, I said, you know, this situation in Cleveland, I said, you know, you've had a history of making things go well wherever you've been. And I said, you know, I'm just going to pray that, um, you know, God's going to help you redeem that. There's going to be redemption in that story, and that fans 
hearts are going to turn to something that's more important than hate. And, and I said, I told him, I said, you know, of course the key, because we talked about fathering quite a bit. And so that led into the father. And I said, yeah, you know, I had just my heart for Father's Day. It was about our father. And I told him, I said, you know, just knowing your father is for you. Your father. And he said, yeah. And I told him a story I told you, I think, on Father's Day about my dad. Only came to two of my basketball games ever. And I said, but those two games. And I told him we were horrible. Listen, you know how they rate school sizes? They got A, double A, triple A. We were B school. We couldn't even get an A. He's laughing his face off at that point. And I said, and we were even a bad B school. But when my dad came, when my dad showed up somehow, just knowing he was there. And I said, I hope while you're coaching in Cleveland, you know your papa is for you. Because I believe Byron Scott has a relationship with God after having talked to him and had a minute with him. But I don't know where he's at in following him at the moment. But just to get to... But my point in that is this. Freedom fighters are bothered by bondage anywhere. And I'm telling you, when you follow him into the fray and into the fight, you get set up. And it doesn't matter if you're talking to someone in the bush in Maui Kualipa in western Zambia or you're talking to millionaires... We got to talking about trusting God. And I said, for me, I've said this to our church, it would be unreasonable not to trust God. That would just make no sense at this point. Just wouldn't make any sense. And I ended up telling him, I mean, while I'm telling him this story, I'm thinking, God, this is ridiculous. The man is a multimillionaire. And I'm telling him about taking a trip to South Africa with a $20 bill in my pocket. And how God was faithful. I don't know if you remember that story, but the $10,000 God showed up with the end of that trip. I'm telling you, know, that's change to him. But when I finished that story, here's his exact response. He went, wow, that is an amazing story. And I said, and dude, it's not about the dough. It's about the faithfulness of the Father. And then lastly, freedom fighters. Freedom fighters are free. I don't have to impress anybody. Hmm? I, I'm getting to the place. Man, I know I'm almost really free. Because I'm getting to the place where I don't even have to impress me. Word? I'm not quite there. I'm getting close. I'm very bothered by bondage. Though. Would to God that that would be more true. Free enough to walk into the fight and still be free. Freedom fighters. They're fighters. Free? Bothered by bondage. And lastly, freedom fighters are they're fighters. Second Corinthians 16, 13. Paul said this: be alert, stand firm in the faith, be brave and strong, and in every action, or let every action be done in love. He told us how to stand into the fight. To, to Timothy, he wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 7, you know this. He said, I have fought the fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Sometimes we act so surprised when it's a fight. Like when we get into it and it's hard, we say, man, that cannot be God. I must have missed God because that, that ended up being hard. It's worth fighting for. In your own life, it's worth walking into grace and telling the devil no. In the lives of others. 
It's worth fighting for. But it is a fight, and we are fighters. And not everybody stands into the fight. One of the saddest commentaries is in 2 Timothy, right after verse 7. You've got verses 9 and 10, where Paul wrote make it, to Timothy, Make every effort to come to me soon. He longed for Timothy, his little brother. He said, Demas has deserted me because he loved this present world. And he's gone to Thessalonica. I've been Demas before. True story. I bounced from Egypt. Come on, y'all. Thank God for grace and forgiveness. I'll give you an assignment because I've straight up run out of time. Just read what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. If you're taking notes at all, put that in there. Read what he had to say about how God puts his light in us. We fight not in our own strength. We are fighters, but we fight in his strength, not our own. The weapons of our warfare, in fact, are not carnal. Why would we need weapons if we weren't fighters? But they are mighty. Listen, church, we're loaded. We have a serious advantage. We definitely own the sky. In fact, we have every tactical advantage. Our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Now think about the 12. We talked about our founding fathers. What about those 12 apostles? Jesus put together a team too. We know what happened with Judas. I'm, as I have said to you, firmly convinced and convicted that Judas could have chosen redemption and probably could have written half the books Paul wrote. I think that was his destiny. What about those 12 though? God's motley crew. His freedom fighters. He threw it out for those 12 to start with. Y'all go ahead. They didn't start that well. Oh, man. They were a little in the hiding mode. Let's do a little denying. Let's do a little hiding. But then, Acts chapter 2 happened. prophesied of in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you and you shall kill the devil you will be my witnesses everywhere you're going to be freedom fighters I'm about to cut you loose go into the world and don't even worry about it because I'll always be with you Jesus Matthew 28 hmm? can you imagine who took Rome who does the scripture tell us took it to Rome Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul, are you kidding me? They were battle buddies. In the beginning, mortal enemies. Who do you think Peter was hiding from? Folks like Paul. What about guys like Stephen, Ron? Gave their life, not one conversion. I know you know that's not true. Saul held those coats. Then when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, hey, Jesus said, why have you been resisting what you know is so? Kicking against the pricks. 
could sense the moment he saw in Stephen's eyes. The grace to die well. Every conversion, every convert that Paul had, Stephen gets some love for. History tells us, Hippolytus, um, Eusebius, two historians from the second century, they tell us that both Paul and Peter died at the hand of Nero in Rome where they planted God's church together. Those accounts are kind of hard to track, but I'll tell you this that I know is so. They fought. They fought well. And for a worthy cause. God, we thank you for the freedom that we enjoy. Uh, Lord, in our country. And do want to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for those who fought and who still fight this very day, God. We pray for freedom fighters around the globe, God. Those who stand with their hearts right before you and do what they do, God, because of the love that they have for freedom. We pray you protect them and keep them and their families, God, and that you bless them.